Hi, I'm Craig Lance. I'm Will Davison. I'm Mark Winterbottom. I'm Greg Murphy. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. A legend of Australian motorsport bids farewell. But if you make a wrong decision, not like a painter, you can walk back and look at it, but in a racing car it usually is of dire consequence. Hollywood comes to Bathurst. And there's one race so unforgiving. Only those with the will to endure are granted its highest honour. The 2010 calendar continues its intrigue. We look at that and more today as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Frank Gardner passed to the great race track above on Saturday following a long illness. He was 78 in a long career that included eight Formula One starts in the 60s, his first at the British Grand Prix in 1964, his last at the 68 Italian Grand Prix with a best finish of eighth place in the 65 British Grand Prix. He also won the European Formula Two Championship, three British Saloon Car titles and the European 5000 Championship and made 14 starts at the famed Le Mans 24-hour race. After being based in Europe for much of the 60s and 70s, Gardner returned to Australia in 1975 and retired from racing just two years after that, capturing an Australian sports sedan championship, winning 41 of 49 races. He went on to manage Tony Longhurst and Thomas Mazera's Ford Sierra victory at Bathurst in 1988. He twice managed BMW's efforts in the Australian Touring Car and Super Touring Car Championships. Gardner was passionate about motor racing and promoting driving skills to the public, as this 1973 audio demonstrates. So you can't emphasise the safety on young people coming into it to get through and get conditioned reflexed and to get a little bit of professional thinking, like having regard for the sea like Never stop having regard for racing cars and tracks. Because they're nasty old things, I'll turn around and bite you the moment you slack up on them. All the V8 Insider's sympathy goes to his wife Gloria and family. Russell Crowe was signed on to be the voice of Bathurst. The Academy Award-winning actor was joined by South Sydney players and V8 supercar drivers in Sydney last week as the new TV commercial was launched. Here's a taste of the Gladiator in action. A true legend refuses to be measured simply by what he has done before, rather by his resolve to go beyond to greater things. Endurance is coming. The 
the super cheap auto. Bathurst 1000. October 8 to 11. Tickets from Ticketek. Will Davison has told the V8 Insiders that while he is excited about his first year at HRT, he has to give some credit of his ability to fit into the team to his man Friday. Steve Owen. Um, obviously I'm going through a big transition process and trying to think back and bits and pieces last year and trying to compare and um, to have him there and also know what my car felt like last year and know what this feels like and I really trust his feedback. He's a, he's a great driver. Now Campbell Little has announced his work with FPR up to Bathurst and it seems that he's a lot more relaxed with the media nowadays. The V8 Insiders asked Little what's the difference with his media persona between now and back when he was in those team Vodafone days. Well, to be honest, um, you know, and I don't know if how public this is going to go, but one of the issues with Triple Eight was that, uh, and one day I was standing beside Roland Dane, and someone came up and shook my hand and said, "Well done, Roland." And um, and from that day on, Roland moved me off camera, uh, and and exactly, I used to get into trouble for talking, and you know, I did. I swore on radio once or twice, and and did say a few inappropriate things, um, and you know. I suppose, like politics, we all learn. <laughs> um, but you know, I am passionate about the sport, and I do have an opinion. And you know, you can't just keep it yourself. The V8 insiders contacted Roland Dane about the comments made by Campbell Little, and received this reply: "I have absolutely no recollection of the incident that Campbell describes. That's not to say it didn't happen, but I tend to not remember things that are of no consequence. As far as whether Campbell was free to speak to the media whilst he was not banned from doing so, he was discouraged as he had said some inappropriate things, as he himself pointed out, on air, which got the team into hot water, which is a clear sign of opening mouths before engaging brains. That discouragement had nothing to do with any incident of the sort that Campbell describes and everything to do with the indiscretions that he himself alludes to. At the end of the day, engineers should engineer, PR people should handle the media. It's fairly simple concept and maybe one of the reasons that this team is successful. After all, Roland wouldn't ask me to engineer a car. My thanks to Roland for those words. Wilson Security Racing will be running in support of the McGrath Foundation throughout the Enduros with a pink livery on the Triple Three. It's hoped that the car will help breast cancer awareness and the work of the foundation. Andrew Thompson has been announced as the co-driver for Tony D'Alberto at Phillip Island in two weeks' time, whilst Jack Daniels Racing has announced that they'll be working with Australian international karting champion David Sierra over the next few years so that the young driver can understand what it takes to participate at the highest level of motorsport in Australia. Yeah, first I'd just like to thank Kelly Racing Team for giving me the opportunity to be a part of the race team. Um, like I said, I'm just going to be showing my face around these racetracks and see how they go about things with the data. Um, to work with these engineers who are very successful, um, Todd and Rick both won at Bathurst so, and Rick's won a championship, so it's great to be involved with such a good up-and-coming team, um, so I can't thank them enough. Todd Kelly told the V8 Insiders about the plan. Talent on its own doesn't get you, uh, you know, into motorsport unless you're unless you're lucky and you get picked up or you've got some backing behind you. So, you know, Rick, Rick and I know how serious that is, and we're you know both humble that we're, we're lucky enough to get that phone call and we're here. So we want to make sure that you know we try and give a little bit back and uh, and give young guys a, a go as well. Jason Baguana told the V8 Insiders that last year being out of the series was a real eye opener for him 
and allowed him to look at the business in a new light. To come back into it this year with a bit of a different idea and what it's all about, yeah, look, I mean, I think that the sprint tyre option's a good one. The purest race car driver probably doesn't like it so much, but our fans seem to like it, which I think is probably an important thing. We'll have more from Bargs later in the show on the White Flag Lap. But that's the news for now. After the break, Chris Jewell and John Evans will join me. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly from Jack Daniels Racing, and you're listening to the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. This week, joining us on the show is the voice of the V8 Supercars, Chris Jewell. Good evening, Chris. G'day, Craig. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. And, uh, well, looking forward to the start of the endurance season in just a few weeks' time. Likewise, is a man that's been spending a lot of time overseas, but he's back here for the big ones in the V8 Supercar Championship. That is none other than the 2008 Media Man of the Year in V8 Supercars, John Evans from Auto Action. Good evening, John. Good evening, uh, Craig, and also Chris. G'day, John. It is a sad note that we start this round table on for uh, touring car fans in Australia because uh, Frank Gardner really was a a huge personality and uh, did a lot overseas and probably didn't get the recognition here for his driving talents, although his engineering back here in Australia was very well regarded. Uh, that's true, because uh, you only had to see the, the respect uh, that he was given when the uh, Grand Prix circus would come to Adelaide each year, catch uh, up with old cronies and friends and journalists, etc., who all had a better appreciation for what he achieved overseas compared to what he did here in Australia. Even that was a magnificent uh, effort, but I'm sure uh, it's a sad day for Australian motorsport to lose another icon like that. Chris, what are some of your memories of Frank? Well, being the slightly the younger of, uh, of the two of us, I, um, I could probably say I don't have a lot of memories, but no, that's not in fact true. I was uh, a died-in-the-world Formula 5000 fan. The first uh, motor racing I went to was back in the early 70s when the, uh, the then-Tasman series was in vogue, and obviously Frank was competing overseas at that point, but when he did return to Australia, he spent a long time helping a lot of people sort their chassis, etc., and he was renowned for his chassis and engineering capabilities, and obviously the, uh, the all-dominant uh, John Player Corp that he ultimately drove himself and then ultimately um, Alan Grice drove to uh, sports sedan championships was built from a Lola Formula 5000 anyway so clearly I remember that very very clearly and um, and also his success in you know team management and uh, and driver training but I guess most importantly was the fact that you know the omnipresent Terry Towling hat and the uh, the witty humor was probably something that he was uh, not as widely recognized for from people who weren't directly involved with him it is amazing one of the statistics that came out when he uh, went to that Australian uh, um, sedan car title. He won 41 of 49 races he entered. And They uh, wanted to ban that Corvair. It was so good. Uh, my memories, incidentally, go back a little bit earlier due to my age <laughs> and the yellow submarine, Alec Mildred's car that uh, 
Frank used to drive against the internationals whenever they came out for the Tasman series, and uh, traditionally it was a 1600 Waggett powered car compared against the two and a half litre car. It just shows what a talent he was in an underpowered but nimble chassis then. Yeah, I was staggered at um, at the the curriculum vitae. If you go back and look at the number of um, titles he actually won um, overseas in uh, saloon car racing as well, and obviously spent time in a number of open wheelers as well. It was uh, you don't tend to to look as closely as we look in hindsight when unfortunately um, people like Frank depart our beloved sport, and I'm sure he'll be sorely missed and a pretty handy golfer as well. So I'm sure he's got some golfing partners that'll be uh, be very distressed as well. Yeah, yeah they... it's a sad day because uh, I remember as a fledgling journalist in my uh, youth, uh, there were three particular people that I always found intimidating to deal with because they didn't tolerate fools, which I was at the time. Uh, one was Alan Moffat, the other was the bear, Denny Hume, and the third one was uh, uh, Frank, and it's no no surprise that Frank and Denny ended up being together in the, uh, the M3 days, which was a sad end when uh, we lost the bear at Bathurst but uh, what uh, Frank achieved in team management with the BMWs um, with Alan Grice and then Jim Richards etc it's just legendary for people who, are, who were aware of the 70s and 80s and 90s of the sport mm. he was definitely had a great turn of phrase didn't he and he uh he, he, he was very succinct with what he said but uh, every word was carefully crafted almost yeah, absolutely, and uh, I'm sure he was pretty lucid as much as he was witty as well. Like, if there were people there who'd crossed him, I think they wouldn't have been uh, left confused about the state of mind he might have been <laughs> applying to the discussion topic of <laughs> either way. But, um, you know, they're the personalities that we've come to love in motor racing, and unfortunately we're uh, all the poorer from them not being uh, not being here any longer. Mm. Yeah, that, that crusty exterior beneath that uh, uh, really beat a very uh, clever brain because uh, as you alluded to earlier he helped so many people within the sport i think the fact that he was perceived overseas as being a, a typical gruff australian as the uh, alan jones uh, predecessor people remember him for things like that mm. saying what he what he actually meant I think one of the other uh, interesting things uh, I, I went back and was looking at some uh, video of uh, particularly that 1988 Bathurst win that he engineered along with Tony Longhurst and Thomas Mazera and and uh, one thing that caught my eye was a young engineer that was working with the team at the time and uh, he's certainly been in the spotlight over the last few weeks and that was Campbell Little. Campbell. Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of people would uh, have Frank to thank for their uh, uh, education and growth in the sport. Well, we uh, we send our our thoughts to the family through these tough times for and uh, I'm sure over the last few weeks a, a lot more people have got to know about Frank Gardner a lot more with the uh, the tributes that have been uh, have been put out their supercars though like uh, most sports marches on and uh, it's interesting to see with the co-driver situation that's going on at the moment do do you, John, think that we are seeing the best drivers pairing up here as co-drivers or do you think we're sort of scraping the uh, the talent barrel this year due to the global financial crisis? Well, we certainly don't have as many uh, internationals as we once did. Um, it's interesting to see uh, what's happened with the former 
Fujitsu champions, for example, because uh, uh, that now has become traditionally the stepping stone because people use that as seat time in V8s to get some uh, some laps. So I'll be fascinated to see the progress of people like Steve Owen, Dean Canto, uh, and the like, who um, have shown their wares in the past at Bathurst but have very little uh, time. But really, it's become uh, essential for the teams to pair their number one drivers together, such as HRT, Tanner Davis, and Triple Eight, uh, Lowndes Wind Cup, because this has massive ramifications on the championship because those four are really in contention for the championship. If they have a failure in one of the next two races at the Island or Bathurst, uh, it will have a significant impact on the, the whole uh, context of the championship. Chris, when you were managing a team there at Brightec, were you looking at uh, what, what was the strategies that were always being passed around? Obviously, you didn't get the chance to uh, have to worry about the championship points at the top end, but uh, that's not to say the decisions are any easier when you have to uh, keep the survival of the team running. Yeah, well, we really experimented with a combination of, um, of both of the, the elements that I guess we're, we could discuss. One was in the early years of Brightec, um, clearly we did have some drivers that helped contribute to the operating costs of the season and uh, and then were guaranteed drives in the long-distance races, specifically you know, Tony Riccadello comes to mind. Um, but thereafter, as we started to find our feet and uh, a little bit more finance started to roll in, we always tried to make sure that not only did we earmark two talented uh, drivers for the long distance races and obviously we've had you know Warren Luff and Adam Macro and um and a number of drivers join us during the course of the last few years when I was running Brightec, but most importantly, they were actually on the payroll as well, which is good for them to be recognised as drivers, one of which was a former um, Development Series champion and one was a Development Series runner-up, specifically that being Macro and Luff, but we really needed them there also for fear of uh, one of our main drivers ever having an issue that um, that required them being replaced. So effectively, they weren't really... Um, co-drivers they were almost a full-time test reserve slash co-driver and I think that um, you know that's really what's increased its presence over the last few years and when we see obviously a lot of those drivers spending time on the Fridays in the uh, in the co-driver sessions as well and when you really you know arrow down on the uh, the, the competitive operations running in the uh, in the two events of Philip Island and Bathurst uh, I can't look past five different combinations from five different teams as the absolute A-list squads, and then behind that it really is um, you know, the best of the rest, but there's some very good guys behind the best of the rest uh, steering wheels. And, John, it's not that long ago what Chris was talking about, having to have a solid backup driver that um, because of a sickness or illness, because we did see that uh, classic case when Scaife couldn't run at Sandown because he had to have his appendix out. Appendicitis, that's exactly right. Uh, it's an interesting philosophy that some of the team managers follow because I'll be intrigued, for example, how the second Triple Eight car operates and functions because Alan Simonson uh, is only going to get laps at Phillip Island. He hasn't had the, uh, the privilege of getting back into a car and doing these Friday... Um, uh, endurance sessions at all so really some people are going to go in exceptionally cold others lukewarm <laughs> some are going to be hot so there's going to be a vast um, learning curve for some people to get up to speed and I think they're definitely going to need that seat time at Phillip Island before they get to the mountain mm. Well we need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders but we're going to talk more about co-drivers right after this
The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. John Evans, Homeworks for Auto Action and Oval Express, which is on sale now. And we're getting right to the busiest time of the Australian season, John, for uh, you and the magazine. Uh, it's been pretty hectic. We don't really have an off-season just coming back from uh, the Knoxville Nationals. Uh, it's ridiculous that Parramatta, for example, starts uh, at the end of September and they're already racing in Darwin, uh, Spring Coast of Chariot of Thunder, the final round um, right now. So racing in Queensland, so anywhere in the northern states, uh, it seems to be getting earlier and earlier at the start of the season. Mm. And that's going to be a, a, a something I'm going to talk to you about when we get to uh, our little calendar chat. But uh, also with us is, of course, the voice of the V8 Supercars. When you get to the track, you hear this band, Chris Jewell, and uh, Chris... We were talking about co-drivers before and we were talking about the relative, or John was talking about the relative warmness of their uh, driving or being in the car. And uh, one thing that uh, Will Davison said during our news in the show was he's expecting big things from Steve Owen, who was his co-driver last year at... Uh, well, who was in his car on the co-driver sessions last year at Dick Johnson Racing, and he too's made the move to HRT, and, and he said to us that... You know, he, he's going to be in the Autobahn car, which is a car to the HRTs, and he's going to be one to watch. Yeah, he, he certainly will be. So one of the drivers, of which there are probably five or six, that really rightfully uh, belong on the V8 supercar grid proper, and um, he's already had a couple of top ten finishes uh, up at the mountain and proven the speed, uh, the undoubted speed that he's got. And uh, specifically also, uh, we talked before about Warren Luff. I mean, Warren's been fastest in virtually every Friday of the last couple of years with these co-driver sessions, and it's important they get valuable miles with just four test days under their belt to do those co-driver sessions. So I I think you'll see that Steve will certainly be um, wanting to be noticed and continue to be noticed and it's easy to, to say that he's driving the team autobahn car but at the end of the day he really is a driver that's been recognised by Walkinshaw Racing and that's um, indeed a feather in his cap that he's actually now moved into a, a program that is as competitive as it is and who knows he may well be one of I guess the second group of drivers that aren't necessarily the absolute fancied runner uh, runners that could potentially uh, spring a surprise at either of those races he's certainly got a lot of experience and he doesn't lack any speed. Mm. Now John the FPR drivers, uh, well they've got the most experienced Fujitsu driver and the most credentialed Fujitsu driver in their ranks being Dean Canto how are you looking at that second FPR car? Well I think what Chris has just said about uh, Steve Owen's going to apply to Canto Yulden for example while we pair up the number one drivers in the lead car we then put a lot of pressure on the, the backup car because these 
particular drivers don't get the opportunity throughout the season during their test sessions to actually run green rubber at all. So when it comes to qualifying, um, it's going to be a lot of pressure on them to perform. Uh, we know that they have the race pace, and we know that they've got uh, the endurance, the stamina. Uh, they can just punch out the lap times. But where they actually qualify is going to be pretty crucial because uh, it's going to be very, very difficult. We're seeing incredibly close lap times, for example, at uh, Queensland Raceway, where there's a second covering 20, 24, 25 cars. So for them to slot in somewhere uh, on qualifying pace is going to be the difficult thing to get them up to speed as opposed to how they'll race. Chris, before we move on, should we continue to allow the top drivers to pair together? Or should we really take a harder line at it and say, no, no, we want to see these gun drivers in their car in these Enduros and you really make, make it so you do have the top 30 drivers in the series running in their car with a co-driver as opposed to we get 15 regular drivers together or, or, or similar to those numbers and, and then just have 15 more cars making up the numbers. Well, personally, I'm a fan of the uh, the stronger pairings uh, joining each other because it actually opens the door then for the next best group of drivers to get valuable track time that have got very, very uh, you know, good equipment and teams that have got good capabilities. So I think that if it opens the door to, to ensure seeing drivers like Canto and Yuld and you know, Luff and Steve Owen and Craig Baird and the like all through the field being given the chance to actually go racing I'd rather see that than, um, than you know that have them join up and, uh, and potentially lessen the impact they've got by diluting their effort as just a secondary co-driver that's just my personal point of view but I see no harm in it and I actually salivate thinking about you know Davison and Tanda, Frosty and Richo, Lowndes, Winkup, Courtney Johnson, Holdsworth, Caruso I mean you know there's a fantastic five car five team race in itself mm. John what's your thoughts I agree entirely uh, I sort of uh, look back and reflect upon the old days where we had 60 cars start uh, with multiple classes at Bathurst and you think now how horrific that uh, uh, variance in not only speed but ability and I think uh, it would dilute as Chris said the, uh, the actual quality of the field if we uh, went from 29 cars to say 36, 38 because these are extremely difficult cars to extract the maximum from so giving uh, the people the opportunity to drive them uh, should be the, the best that there is around and, and I would say that uh, any more than what we've got would be uh, uh, taking a bit of a risk. Mm. Now we want to move on to the calendar ahead of this week's Gas and Go. And, guys, the 2010 calendar is really starting to look very interesting, but perhaps the most interesting part will be whether the boards sign off on the mid-season break. And I start to think, John, that if we're going to have a mid-season break, then perhaps we really want to be starting our championship in, uh, in September and finishing our championship in March. I couldn't agree more. That was uh, when that was announced originally. I thought, well, that would be the perfect time to say, let's do the um, 10 11 championship starting in September, running over summer months when we don't have the problems with uh, uh, clashing commitments with football with the uh, television, and perhaps finish it May or June, something like that. Um, we could almost make Bathurst the first round, our Daytona 500 or something, if you wanted to. Uh, it would be quite interesting. Chris, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I guess a, a summer series would certainly uh, please a lot of people who are going to be freezing their backsides off at Phillip Island next week, I'm sure. But, um, look, you know, I've got a mixed feeling on the, a large mid-season break, um, regardless of whether it runs over two calendar years or one calendar year. I mean, it's this time of year that we've got a little bit of a hiatus period before we go to Phillip Island, and then we have that uh, four-week break between Phillip Island and Bathurst. But the close to the year is a very taxing close, both for people within the media, uh, obviously people who try to get to clearly the teams, and I'd just be nervous that too big a break in the middle could mean we've actually got a maniacally busy first half of the season and an incredibly busy last half of the season, and I think that you know, two lots of eight races split by a big gap in the middle. We need to be careful uh, about that gap and what that would then mean, which goes back to what you were saying, is an earlier start and potentially you know, having a longer total championship year with a big gap in the middle, because you know, I don't look forward to the next uh, five or six meetings about this time of year, because it's just back-to-back, and it's a lot to get Mm. Well, I think that was evident last year because of the Olympics. Uh, the fact that the calendar was compressed so much into the back half of the year, it was very difficult to give people time off uh, in January when they, they really actually have a life outside racing. They need to fulfill family obligations, um, plus build new cars and things like that. So it, it really became uh, just too much of a, a grind for people. And I think that big break in between... Uh, maybe opportune to look at uh, juggling the championship. Well, it is guess and go time, but uh, before we go to guess and go, there's still, we talk about those races at the back end and there's still two huge question marks on two of those races at the back end. One, if you'll even be going to Bahrain or whether you'll be just running up the highway to Winton. And the other one, of course, is, uh, is the... Uh, is the GP part of Super GP going to even turn up? There's some real worries there. And uh, I guess for the punters that have bought Bahrain tickets, let's hope they got the insurance as well. Or if they haven't got the insurance, they want to get on pretty quick. I know for a fact that a lot of V8 teams have booked accommodation at Winton and Phillip Island uh, because they're unsure at the moment. So it will still go ahead on that November weekend. But uh, as to where um, is going to be the question. Yeah, well, it was interesting. A few weeks ago, um, Tony Cochran was talking about if the boat hasn't left with a lot of the stuff that has to be sea freighted by August 23rd, then we've got a genuine problem. Speak to me then. And um, it's now all of a sudden September the 1st and still no news. So clearly there is something afoot that could potentially throw plans to get to Bahrain, um, you know, into disarray. But um, yeah, you're right, there'll be some people exposed there. But clearly none of what's happening with uh, those choices is... Um, is, is actually meant to be to the uh, detriment of the sport and who, who's to say that a double header in the uh, Gulf region next year might not be a perfect way to start our season but it is strange that we've gone past that absolute line in the sand day, date of August 23rd which was then increased to August 25th and all of a sudden now another week has passed so um, pushes are going to have to come to shove pretty soon I'd imagine yeah. Well, speaking well of... it was uh, uh, alluded to by Tony that he was waiting for the F1 calendar to be released before uh, we traditionally at uh, Phillip Island released the 2010 calendar, but I know about a March race at Abu Dhabi for F1, so again that could potentially throw a, a double head of Bahrain, Abu Dhabi uh, up in the air as well. Mm. But I know Fitzy was saying uh, at Dunlop was saying that he's got to have the tyres on the truck and oh sorry on the boat this week at the end of this week and uh, he hadn't got confirmation. But the good news was. 
He said, I'm not worried about it because if we're going there six months later anyway and the tyres aren't going to go off in that time. Gas and go time now. Five questions, three minutes. First of all, to John Evans. Does Bathurst need the crow factor with Russell Crowe being signed up this week? Uh, well, I don't think he's similar to Prince Rainier at Monaco, so probably more a V8 type person. Chris? Well, yeah, well, look, I think glitz and glamour is always good and it's something we try to replicate from overseas, but um, only if it doesn't come at, uh, at an expensive cost. Will the dude, Chris, get his dirtiest driver title back in the Enduros? Well, he talks big um, and he has been known to take it up to people. I uh, just asked Tony Longhurst back in the two-litre touring car days and I guess if anyone can do it, he can, but um, there'll be a few people looking backwards, I'm sure, as opposed to forwards with the dude out there. John? He's been getting down and dirty in Speedway for the last couple of weeks, so he'll always be dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Will the mid-season break be good or bad for the sport? In one word, good or bad, John? No. Chris? No. What's no mean? I ask good or bad? Bad. <laughs> bad. Do we need more enduros? Yeah, I think I'd like to see a, a, a few events have a 300k Sunday race. John? I agree. Do we need to regulate the soft tyres so that everyone has to run them in the same race? John? Uh, one for each race. One set for each race would be uh, much equal. That way people get a chance of winning both races. Fitzy can't supply them at the moment like that, so what's the best alternative? Um... Use them on the Sunday. Chris? I agree, and the only thing that would spice it up even more is if we did have some 300k races on the Sunday, that would add another dimension. At the moment, all we're doing is diluting two races by half each weekend. It has uh, certainly made it interesting, and I guess one thing they have achieved is different winners on each day. Can... That's true, and it's created opportunities, um, and it's made different winners, but I don't like the uh, contrived way it has. I'd rather see the, the best driver with the best team with the best car win mm. well guys thanks very much for joining us on the v8 insiders this week can i get a uh, a real early tip on how you're feeling that the phillip island 500 is going to go chris jewel uh yeah i'm going to back courtney and johnson and john evans Ooh, i would have liked to have picked them but i think Tanner. <laughs> well the way flag lap is up next my thanks to chris jewel and john evans we've got bargs on the white flag lap next to ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. Hi, it's Bargs here, Jason Bargwana from the Sprint Gas Racing Team, and you are listening to V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. On this week's White Flag Lap, we catch up with Jason Barguana and find out about what's going on with the V8 Supercars. Why are there so few drivers with a real personality? If the sport's becoming more about personalities, there's only a few guys out here that have their own unique personality. Yeah, look, I mean, I, you know, how do I answer that question? I don't, is there a question there? I don't know. Have you got a question? Well, <laughs> if people are following teams, the logical step is they're going to follow drivers. The only way drivers are going to be better than another driver 
in a public side is one results on the racetrack and two being personable and being approachable. I'll let you have an opinion on all the other drivers, but I think that for me as a young driver, and this is the advice that I do give other young drivers too, it's more than just driving the racing car around the racetrack. You know, you need to have a number of different aspects to your package, I suppose, and you need to be approachable by the media, the fans, you need to have something that people recognise and know, and, and, um, you know, I, I love what I do, so... It's not like I'm putting on an act. I just absolutely love this to death. And even when it's a bad day and you're sitting in the sandpit somewhere, it's better than uh, some other jobs you can do. So I think that um, that's, uh, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I, I lay it on the table and I, I say it how it is. And that's just that's how it pan, can, uh, pans out, you know. You're not afraid of uh, if everyone lines up in the same mark? No, I'm definitely not. I mean, I like the idea of having equal equipment and then getting on with the job. Um, I, I think you'll find that if you do ask the, the honest question of most race car drivers, they don't care if it's a, a Ford, a Holden, a Skoda or a V-Dub, providing it's the car that can race and put them at the front, that's the one they want to be in. So uh, I think that um, the, the, the honest answer to that is that we're all race car drivers, we'll race what we get the opportunity to race and, and try and beat the other guys and that's what it all comes down to, whether that's, you know, they're all the same, they're not the same, they're half different, whatever, that's what it is. So where we have this push for more and more control components that are the same in every car, is that good as far as you're concerned? Or would you prefer to be able to say, well, we want to use this range of components which are deemed by the officials to be the same? I think any changes they make in that sense, if they're designed to try and reduce the cost of running these vehicles, then that's a good step. And that, that, that's the basis of my thoughts on all those sorts of changes whether it's based on competition, you're not going to get better competition than what we've got at the moment. It's, it's so good. But if, it, if they're making changes to try and reduce the cost, reduce the spend and make teams more viable, then that's, uh, that's got to be a good thing. My thanks to Bargs, John Evans and Chris Jewell. As the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.